Hi, I'm Eric Dewey from the Socially Awkward Studios, Science and Beer, and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast. And you're listening to another proud presentation of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Check out more shows at foureyedradio.com. Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 64 and is being recorded on June 17th, 2016. Today's topic, diversity in Star Trek. I'm Aaron. I'm Eric. And I'm Doug. This episode is brought to you by Revenge Lover, illustration and designs that fit your personality. For samples and inquiries, visit revengelover.com. Hello, everyone. Hey. Hello. With us today, we have a special guest co-host, yes. Doug. That's me. Thank you for joining us this week, Doug. Of course. How big of a Star Trek fan are you, Doug? Or are you a Star <laughs> Trek fan at all? <laughs> no, I mean, I like Star Trek, but I'm about to learn a whole lot. Okay. <laughs> I've watched uh, a bit of each series, but I haven't watched all of anything, so... I've watched stuff here and there. I've watched things on recommendation. I started watching the original series all the way through, and then college got in the way, and so eventually I'll start that all up again. Nice. Doug's my friend, so you know when we hang out, occasionally we might watch a Star Trek episode here or there. So Was Eric is a Star Trek dealer? I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Star Trek uh, pusher. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but no, uh, uh, like a month ago, last month, we watched uh, Best of Both Worlds. Mm-hmm. Oh, good one. Good one to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So. What did you think of that, uh, Doug? I liked it. I like it a lot. I like all the stuff from the next generation I've seen. Actually, Aaron, wasn't it? Didn't you recommend something to me via Twitter, or you were watching something, or you quoted something, and then I watched it? Possibly. I think this happened. It did happen. <laughs> I, it did I happen. saw that. <laughs> it did happen. I don't remember what it was. Most recently, I watched. <laughs> I watched the last episode of Webster, which was a TNG Webster crossover. That's <laughs> insane. I need to see that recording because I don't think I've seen that in my entire life. Yeah, it's kind of a throwaway episode. The episode before it was the actual last episode, but they needed right. to fill fulfill one more episode and they filmed on the same lot. <laughs> so <laughs> they just, you know, walked over. <laughs> but what what was like the actual episode about? Like, did Webster have a dream about Star Trek, or what was it? Uh, so, a quick rundown. <laughs> Webster is playing this video game, and his house is struck by lightning, and somehow he's transported to the bridge of the Enterprise with <laughs> Worf and a ton of extras. <laughs> Wait, so it's just Worf? Is the yeah. main cast member? Yeah, just Worf and a ton of uh, regular extras that are on the show all the time. Oh, okay. So, oh, like that, um, like that one chick that's always at the con. Yeah, there was a bunch of yeah, faces yeah. that I I noticed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and then um, it's about him. It's basically a clip show from a Webster set <laughs> on the Enterprise. <laughs> That is so random. Yeah. What a weird thing. <laughs> yeah, totally weird, but I had to record it, so I do have have the recording that I could... Uh, you could should, send. like, upload that to YouTube or something. 
Maybe. I uh, I asked Hulu about it. They don't have the rights to that episode. Oh, <laughs> boo! Yeah, yeah. Because when, when I first heard about it, I was like, oh, man, Webster is on Hulu. Why don't I go and look for it? <laughs> Not there. I wonder if it's just because of, like, a, a rights issue with Star Trek. I'm sure. I am sure. Yeah. Some kind of rights problem <laughs> there. Because there's a bunch of, you know, also clips of different episodes. Oh, uh, okay. As well, so. But, but does, yeah. like, does, like, Worf teach him a life lesson or something? <laughs> like, I don't like, understand. Like, they talk about <laughs> fun. Like, Worf doesn't understand fun. And then <laughs> oh, God. Webster, like, <laughs> talks about, like, fun experiences that he's had, and they show clips from the Webster series. <laughs> And then there's the thing about dancing, and, you know, Webster talks about dancing to Worf, and then they show more clips. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. this, this sounds like uh, something I need to watch pretty soon. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amusing. It's, you know, it's not that long. I'll edit out the commercials. All right, cool. It won't be too bad. <laughs> I also, uh, last weekend, put together my original series model, of the Enterprise, nice. that that included uh, Botany Bay. Oh yeah, the, like the little miniature version. Cool. Yeah. Nice. That was my start. I've had that since Valentine's Day of last year, so I finally got around to uh, putting it together. Nice. Yeah. You'll have to show us sometime. I will. It's over there, kind of over my shoulder. Oh okay. <laughs> With the it's... other Enterprises there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Won't we jump into the episode? So we usually start with a section called Would You Buy It? Now, before we reveal what it is, would you guys purchase this? No. No. <laughs> Eric never purchases anything. Oh, come on. <laughs> I'm looking at it. Uh, it looks pretty cool. I don't know. This looks a lot like things that I would have had growing up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of intrigued. Yeah, I'm intrigued, but I probably wouldn't buy it either. Well, but... just because I, I don't have the accessories to go with it. Like, I don't have the action figures, so mm. to me it's like, oh, okay. It looks cool. I think it's awesome. It's got yeah. that retro feel. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, if you purchase an item that we talked about last week, the Star Trek Barbie dolls, <laughs> this this could actually go with it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, so what we're talking about is the Star Trek Retro Original Series playset available on ThinkGeek for fifty nine ninety nine. Where else? ThinkGeek uh, has everything Star Trek. Yep, that's they where should... I go for this segment. At, <laughs> at this point, they should be a show sponsor. Like for I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, so this is a recreation of the classic 1970s Mego playset. Mego. Mego. See, also something, if, if you're not a regular listener of the show, I don't know how to pronounce anything. Uh, <laughs> so this folds up uh, with an integrated handle for easy transport, compatible with 8-inch figures not included. I had something that was similar to this. Before Playmates got the license for Next Generation, they had... I, Hasbro made Star Trek figures, and they were like 
It was like yep. next generation, and they were yep. super tiny. Yep. I have a couple of those. And they actually had like a fold-out plastic case like this, where you could store all your figures, and it kind of had a space background, so you could make it that's a playset cool. if you wanted. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And it looks like it looks like in this picture you can change out the image on the view screen, yeah. which is pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and it's like on the left-hand side, there's a transporter uh, that that compartment spins around. Nice. <laughs> so he could beam people in. And I had a, uh, um, I still have it, uh, Micro Machines uh, play sets. Yes. Where, yeah, I have the uh, the one, well, I have two. I had three. I had a Bird of Prey that didn't make it. Mm -hmm. um, but the, I have an Enterprise next-gen one that opens up, and it's a next-gen bridge. Little play set. Yeah. Nice. It has, it's a bridge... Ready room and break. <laughs> I didn't know that was on deck one. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, so this is uh, probably not something that we would we would purchase. Oh. If yeah. if I had the figures, I would totally get this, but yeah. I don't, so I won't. Mm. <laughs> That's an easy sixty bucks saved. Mm. It'll go somewhere else though. It will. Yeah. All right. So next up, the news. The news is short this week, but there was an official Star Trek podcast announced by by Paramount, CBS, mm -hmm. uh, probably CBS. I think uh, it was CBS, yeah. And it's hosted by critic Jordan Hoffman. Who I've never heard, but I started following him on Twitter because... Yeah, me too. The, yeah. Since this got announced. I was going to ask... Oh my God, it's got like... Wait, does this already have like three episodes out? It does. Yeah, something like that. I know I had Holy an episode, cow. had a episode zero, then episode one I think had Weird Al on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they released like three episodes this Wednesday. That's crazy. I mean, that is insane. Well, when you're being paid to do a podcast. I'm sure it's much easier to pop them out. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, episode zero was, like, talking about the hosts, kind of like what they were uh, talking about. Mm -hmm. And then episode one interviewed Weird Al Yankovic and his memories of Star Trek and how he met uh, Brent Spiner from Next Generation. Oh. Episode two, they interviewed Adam Nimoy, so Leonard Nimoy's son, Mm -hmm. And talking about the documentary for the love of Spock, right? And then episode three, they talked with MTV news correspondent Josh Horowitz about growing up as a Star Trek fan, meeting Patrick Stewart, and other stuff. <laughs> so wow, I mean, geez, like four episodes in less than two weeks. Yeah, it's crazy. No, I'm assuming you haven't listened, right? I haven't yet, but I guess no. I need to now. It, it is the official podcast. I haven't listened either, but for the same reason, I probably should listen. Uh, <laughs> maybe uh, get some tips. Some tips. <laughs> oh, well, Maybe we should be giving them tips. We should. Yeah. We've only been on for like, what, three, four years? Yeah, something three. like that, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> True that. You have to step up the episode releases... Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, next, Ubisoft announced a fall release 
for Star Trek Bridge Crew, which is a new virtual reality game that will allow players to explore space as a member of the Federation. The game will be available on PlayStation VR, Oculus Rift, and HTC Vive. So this week is E3, Mm -hmm. so there was a ton of gaming stuff announced. And they have a video of LeVar Byrne, who played Jordy, Jerry Ryan, who played Seven of Nine, and Carl Urban, who plays McCoy from the J.J. Abrams movies. And then they had, like, one of the producers of the game. And they had this video of them playing it, and it was hilarious. Like, LeVar Byrne was, like, he had all the lingo down from the next generation. He's like, all right, we need to raise shields, uh, you know, get the power distribution. And I was like, oh, my God, he even joked about it. He was like, yeah, I was using all the lingo. And when I saw this game, like the four of them playing together, and, you know, virtual reality, you can look over and see the person, the person's character. Mm-hmm. I want to play this so bad. <laughs> yeah. I will get a PlayStation just for this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that it seems awesome. awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about, because I, I originally had a PS3, and then I converted to the Xbox because of you. Woo-woo. Eric. Yeah, uh, but I think I might convert back to uh, the PlayStation Four. I think I'm definitely gonna, I'm definitely getting a PlayStation Four. Uh, yes. For sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Just for the VR. Oh, it it looks amazing. Yeah, since I mean Microsoft won't have VR for another At least year. Another year, yeah. They they have they didn't even announce anything related to it in at E3. Yeah. PlayStation killed it this year at E3. Yeah. Yeah, I was watching the feed. I saw you were watching it, so I was like, "Ah, oh, I guess I'll jump in and watch it too." <laughs> and all the all the games, I was like, "Yep, going to get that, going to get that." <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was just game after game after game. Like their whole presentation was just showing yeah. Of telling, it was awesome. It was nonstop, yeah. and when they got to that VR portion, there was like freaking six trailers all in a row about the VR stuff. I was blown away by it. I, I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. I was very impressed with the uh, new Call of Duty game. I didn't even realize it was Call of Duty until the end. Me neither, and I hate Call of Duty. But <laughs> I saw all that stuff, and I was like, and I tweeted. I actually tweeted. Okay, you have my intention. You have my attention, Infinity, whatever it's called. And then the people who make Call of Duty uh, actually favorited it, my tweet. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, you've got my attention because it looked like this amazing space battle, and oh, it was great. <laughs> I'm all for it. Oh, very nice. Next up is the uh, Hewitt Packard Enterprise Company uh, has revealed... It's new campaign, Accelerated Beyond, which whisks viewers 250 years into the future and features Starfleet Academy recruits in a world powered by the machine. Have you seen this commercial? I'm actually watching it right now. So what is the machine? <laughs> oh, no, it, that will be actually announced sometime later this year. <laughs> <laughs> well... I, I know there was I did see some people like kind of complaining that you know Star Trek was kind of selling out because this is Hewitt Packard but 
the thing is, they have to remember, like, Star Trek movies, they've always done promotional tie-ins and commercials. Yeah, I mean, like, there was a, a MCI commercial that had the Star Trek crew yeah, making and, phone calls to each other. Yeah, and I'm re- I remember when the last movie came out, they did, uh, like, Comcast, uh, like, oh, yeah. X1 yep. Infinity commercials, and it, it, it was like the J.J. Abrams cast, and they are just like, oh, yeah, the, the video quality is amazing. And I'm like, <laughs> this has happened before. Yeah. It's not new. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess they're getting the hype train rolling for this, because I'm very curious to know what this machine thing is. Yeah. It probably does it's probably useless to everyday people. <laughs> uh, so let's make but, a commercial. But the commercial looked awesome. I thought the commercial was pretty good. It, it looked like something from the movie, so yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So why don't we jump into the main topic of the show, diversity in Star Trek. I we'll... I just like to point out there's nothing more diverse than three white dudes talking about diversity. <laughs> well, I also I, there's also a puppy. Also a and a puppy. <laughs> so why don't we start with the original? No, it's fine. Why don't we start with the original series? And that was a breakthrough TV show for diversity, aired in the 60s. And included an Asian male and an African female bridge officer. And they were officers. They weren't right. uh, enlisted. They weren't just extras. They were actual regular cast members on the show. And I, I think we have to remember, you know, the point in time in history of, of the 60s. I mean, this was when the Civil Rights Movement was going on. This it was a huge decade for you know civil rights and mm-hmm. and diversity so star trek was pretty groundbreaking at the time i mean this was this was something where you know martin luther king even talked to uh, nichelle nichols when she almost wanted to quit and said you know you can't quit you know you you are representing us in space mm-hmm. so I mean, yeah, that's. I think that's why Star Trek has gone on for so long, just because it left such a mark in the 60s because of the diversity. Definitely. And also, in the second season, they introduced a Russian character in the height of the Cold War. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> that's uh, pretty diverse. I'm sure not every TV show had a Russian character, I'm assuming. And a, a regular character as well. So, right. Yeah. We also had a Vulcan human officer, and we see several episodes that highlighted xenophobic attitudes towards the Vulcans. And you can kind of see that kind of in the relationship with McCoy and Spock, I think. Yeah, he can he can be kind of a little Vulcan racist towards Spock. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the greatest moment that showed the the xenophobic attitude towards Vulcans mm-hmm. was Balance of Terror. Yeah. When they found out that Romulans, their like enemy for a hundred years, were related to the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah, and you had that one uh that one extra uh bridge officer, that con officer, like he went full tilt racist towards Spock. Like mm-hmm. you know, he's a traitor and this and that and uh Balance of Terror, yeah, that's a that's a powerful episode. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely one uh, we should revisit 
Mm-hmm. Actually, that if we haven't done it already, that would be a good episode to do a uh, commentary. I thought, I thought we did a commentary on it. <sighs> Maybe. I, th- I think that was like one of our first ones that we did a commentary on. Really? It, yeah. might, it, it might have been. It might have been. <laughs> the episodes, they all come together. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we have 63 episodes, but that doesn't include... Yeah, it the, doesn't include all of our commentary. Commentary episodes, so... But that was the episode that you mentioned. That was episode was what I was just going to uh, talk about. And uh, Kirk has a good line in that episode. It's I'm going to paraphrase. I can't remember the exact line, but it's yeah. like... Leave your bigotry in your quarters. There's no room for it on the bridge. Yep. I, I think that's actually the exact quote. <laughs> I think you got that pretty well. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, it, it's definitely something that uh, stuck with me, mm-hmm. uh, that quote. I was actually uh, uh, browsing the tag. Yes, we did a supplemental on A Balance of Terror. Uh, we did that November 18th, 2013. Wow. That was a while ago. It was. So, yeah, if you guys want to listen to our commentary... Uh, actually, I, I looked on the commentary tag. It's not under the commentary tag. It's under the supplemental tag. Okay. Yeah, look under supplementals for or commentaries. I, I just searched for terror in, in, in <laughs> on the website, and it came up. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, search for terror. Dun, dun, dun. Find the balance. Uh... <laughs> Next up, something that I thought was uh, quite intriguing, which I didn't see in the in my first run-through of the original series, but mm-hmm. as I got older, I recognized the importance of it. Uh, Richard Daystrom was, in the episode, was considered the modern uh, 23rd century Einstein. He was a black male who created the computer systems in the 23rd century known as Deutronics. Yeah, so, yeah, he was, like, the called the father of, of Deutronics. Yeah, and, I mean, that, that was pretty important. Uh, you know, it showed a successful and intelligent and genius-level, you know, African-American. and Or, actually, he was actually from Africa. Ah. Like, like he, I, think, I think in the show they, they said his background, like, he was from Africa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, it's... That, that was huge in the mid '60s, you know, he, yeah. he was he was a he was basically like the Bill Gates of the future, right? Even yeah, though no. Bill Gates was around in the '60s, but I mean, <laughs> you, you, you get what I mean. He was like yeah. he was like that. He was like the Steve Jobs of the 23rd century, right? I'd be so curious to to hear what types of conversations happened, if any at all, because the stuff that they're doing is purely representation. It's not shoehorning anything. It's just putting people in positions and putting people in roles and then having them do that role as opposed to being like, here's the smartest person we know who is also black. It's like, no, here's the smartest person we know. We're right. mm-hmm. to see how audiences, if audiences would even react to it at all. Yeah, I, God, I, I wish that Twitter existed in the 60s or something. Because like, I want to see what that conversation was like for fans at the time. Mm. I think that would have been huge. One of the most interesting things that I think the original series gave as a concept was the Vulcan IDIC, the IDIC, which is an acronym that stands for Infinite Diversity in Infinite Combinations. And it's the basis of Vulcan uh, philosophy. And 
that they're, they celebrate the vast array of variables in the universe. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a concept that at the root of Star Trek, that's I think that's the whole point, is that there are so many different possibilities in the universe in so many different combinations that it would be foolish not to embrace and accept that idea. That's awesome. I, I'm actually looking at the Memory Alpha uh, entry for IDIC. Mm-hmm. Um, so the invention of the IDIC by Gene Roddenberry actually caused friction between him and Leonard Nimoy, who saw it as a cheap ploy to sell replica merchandise to fans because of that symbol. Oh, okay. Uh, Regardless of its original uh, introductional intent, the symbol first introduced in Is There No Truth in Beauty, it was designed by William Ware Thies, who did a lot of the costumes for mm-hmm. the original series. But it's not just a symbol. It's, it's this philosophy in Star Trek, and it's almost as close to like a Vulcan religion as there can be, mm-hmm. in, in a way. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. And another thing that the original series had was hippies. Straight <laughs> hippies. Yes. Space hippies, which I'm sure there were people that did not like hippies, right? <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. <laughs> oh, God, you know, we're forgetting a great episode of the original series. God, what was the name of the episode? Where they were black on one side, yeah, white on the other. Um... Oh, Let I this think be so. the last battlefield, something along those lines. I think it's that. Uh, I love that's a good episode. The yeah, guy who played the Riddler is in that episode. Yeah, um, uh, uh, Gorshin, Frank Gorshin, was that his name? Maybe. I'm looking it up right now. Like my mind draws a blank sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, the internet yeah. is just an extension of our intellect. Uh, it is, yes. I will totally go with that. Yeah, it's that's uh, Let That Be Your last, last Battlefield. And it kind of, like, blandly puts, like, racial, a racial conflict, like, at face value. I mean, the makeup is so simple. It's like, they're literally white, painted white on one side and black on the other. And then yep. it's the opposite for, for the other character. Mm-hmm. And... It's funny because in the episode, you know, even Kirk's like, "What's the big deal? I mean, you're you're both the same." And and you know, he's like, "No, well, he's black on one side and I'm black on the other." And it's like, it's just, <laughs> it, it, it's like, it's it's ludicrous when when you watch it now. But that was the point that that episode was trying to make. Like it was trying to show how ridiculous skin color is to fight you know, to, to fight someone. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure the only reason why that got past censors and on the air is because it dealt with aliens and not uh, humans. Right, and that's, I think that's why Star Trek got a lot, got away with a lot of what it did, was because mm-hmm. they were, it's, it's an allegory. They're using aliens to implant human problems, and we get the lesson from it. So right. that's that's what Star Trek does best, mm-hmm. and, they, and they back it up because of the the crew itself and the cast itself. So it's not like they're just throwing this le- lesson at you, and it's a cast of white people. They're throwing this lesson at you, and then 
the cast itself represents it, which is cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the original series did an amazing job at, at that, especially because of the time uh, that it was airing. Mm-hmm. Indeed. And it doesn't stop there. And it <laughs> <laughs> the human adventure continues in the next generation. And we echo some of the Cold War attitudes from the original series. And they have a... It was still going on in the 80s. That's true. Uh, uh, they have a Klingon as part of the bridge crew. Which, yeah, in, in the movies, the, the Klingons were depicted as, you know, the real enemies. And even in the original series... I mean, geez, in the original series, they... I mean, it was kind of like almost like blackface. And, you know, they had the kind of Chinese-like stereotypical mustaches. Right. Uh, it, it was bad. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, th- they were the enemies of the original series that everyone remembered. So yeah, to have a Klingon as part of the Federation and as part of Starfleet on the bridge was was pretty cool for fans. Yeah, we also had a person with disabilities who ascended through the ranks. Uh, started off as the con officer, and he became the chief engineer. And, yeah, I mean, Jordy LaForge, played by LeVar Byrne, who is a great actor, and at the time he was known for uh, being Kuta Kente in Roots, mm-hmm. which was, you know, I mean, that dealt with so many uh, issues about slavery and all that. So, yeah, f- I mean, this was just, like, the next step in his, like, amazing career. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, LeVar Byrne uh, brought great acting skills, and, and, you know, he's an advocate for reading and education with, with Reading Rainbow, which even continues today. So, yeah, uh, an, another great character. Yeah, wonderful character. So also, women took a much larger role in the series than in, previ- in the previous series. We have a female chief medical officer, a female security officer, and a female therapist. Oh, not just a security officer, a security chief. Uh, security chief, my bad. She, <laughs> thought she was also the tactical officer. Yep. So, I mean, that is a big role. They weren't only just the person that answered the phone or <laughs> was a nurse. Right, or, or, or serving coffee to the yeah, captain. A yeoman. Would... Right. Uh, so, I mean, this is a big step up. I mean, you kind of saw that evolution in the movies as well. Uh, women took on a larger role. We had female captains in in the movie series. And mm-hmm. also, uh, we had uh, minority actors as captains and admirals in the original series and in the movies. Yeah. And, yeah, I mean, Star Trek had no problems doing that. And I, I think, yeah, it, it did take greater strides in the movies where you see actors of color and women... Captains and I mean that, that that was huge when when the movies came around, and, and now we saw them every week, yep. which I did not mind myself. Uh, xenophobia is again kind of highlighted with Romulans again. Oftentimes the Romulans and Starfleet Federation had to work together in order to accomplish a goal. And actually, uh, there's an episode with Jordy LaForge. He like we said, he's blind. Uh, his right. character is blind, and he sees using a visor. Uh, he was on some planet, and the visor wasn't working, 
and he was also on the planet with Romulan. That's right. And then they worked together, even though you know the Romulan hated Jordy. Jordy has feelings, but you know they eventually worked together. And at the end, they didn't hate each other as much. Yeah, and it you know I think that's a great lesson when you have to work together to overcome like a life-threatening uh, you know a life-threatening event um, I think that's when people come together the most you know we we see it all the time when tragedy strikes you know people come together and I think Star Trek has told some great stories like that oh Doug I know the episode that that Aaron watched and then you watched it was Darmok yes that one uh, yeah J- Jalad and and <laughs> yes. at, at, at Tanagra that's exactly which one it was. That's yes, it. I remember because it was another one of those situations where it's like two different species and they have no common, you know, way to talk to each other and they have to come together because of a life-threatening decision. Yeah. That one was intense because it wasn't just that they were different, it's that their entire concept of how to communicate what was around them and what they were thinking was completely different. Yeah. And it was it was interesting to watch it play out because I didn't quite I mean, you don't know what's going on until maybe halfway through or towards the end. You start to figure out, like, oh, that's what he's doing. So, yeah, that was definitely the one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Darmok. Yes, I knew it. I remembered something. Yay! Ooh. I guess you get paid this week, Eric. <laughs> dollar, dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> also, uh, sexuality is lightly touched upon in the series. There are a couple episodes, uh, one in particular... The host, where a male trill named Odin uh, has a relationship with Dr. Crusher. At the end of the episode, uh, because of events that transpired through the episode, the simient is moved into a female trill named Karel. Karel, I think. I'll go with that, I don't even remember. Um, Karel uh, was willing to continue the relationship, but Crusher wasn't. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And at the end of the episode, I guess, uh, Karel kissed uh, Crusher's hand. Yeah, yeah. I found it, it kind of interesting in that episode because she, she was okay with the relationship when, it was, when the symbiote was in Riker, but then once it was in the, the female, uh, she wasn't feeling it. Hey, like, you know, different preferences for people. But, <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's, it, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, Star Trek didn't do the, like... Oh yeah, everything's fine. Like, like that was a choice that she made that she didn't want to continue the relationship. And you know, not all lessons are you know have this positive outcome at the end. You know, right? And it was a completely different person as well. I mean, they have all the, uh, the memories. memories and the but, and the emotions and yeah. Yeah, but it's still a different person, so I, I can understand that. Right. Um, but interesting, interesting episode. So that's a fascinating one because that probably... Well, I don't know if it intended to touch on gender identity because it wouldn't have been a huge topic, I don't think, at the time, but it does anyway. And so it would be interesting to watch that episode now given the context of everything that's happening with trans issues and trans people and gender identity and gender fluidity and all that to look at that that episode specifically because that does happen where people come out as trans and then they begin to transition and then there's this question of is this still the same person or is this not the same person? If I was in a relationship with a woman and now I'm suddenly in a relationship with a, like with a man, what does that mean 
for me and us and how people see us and all of that. So that's interesting. Man, that's one that I'm definitely going to go watch. Yes. And I think another, I mean, just Deep Space Nine in general is great because one of the main characters, one of the uh, main crew is a trill. And it's funny because, you know, when Jadzia Dax first meets Cisco, Cisco knew the previous Dax host, which was Curzon Dax, and he was Cisco's mentor, and Cisco always called him old man. Mm. Well, when he meets Jadzia and learns that she's Jadzia Dax, the, the next host of the Dax symbiote, um, he keeps calling her old man. Like, that's his nickname. He keeps that nickname for her. And he even continues that in the seventh season in the, in the next host, in Esri Dax. He, he continues to call her old man because that's he met the Dax symbiote when he was joined with Curzon. So I, I think the Trill are fascinating because they have to live with... You know, sometimes they die, but the past host children lives on. So technically, that's still their children or their child, even after they died, in a way. And it's just like, because you can have hosts go from, like, you know, male to female and back again. Um, yeah, I think I think the Trill are are fascinating species for, for Star Trek that, that deal with some of those gender identity issues, especially with, with Esri Dax, because she was so confused about who she was after she joined with the Dax symbiote. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I'm glad the introduction in The Next Generation and then the transition in, I want to say, improvement of the, of the or a flushing out a better flushing out of the species in DS9, which that actually happened with a lot of species. The Ferengi got better in Deep Space yep. Nine. The Trill, uh, the Cardassians definitely got better in Deep Space Nine. And then um, even the Bajorans, because they were introduced with uh, Ensign Roe in mm. The Next Generation. Right. So, yeah, Deep Space Nine was like this great evolution for Star Trek, and they told some hard-hitting stories, too. They, they really did. Mm. I and I'm the only reason I like bring up Esri and all that stuff was because um like over the past you month have a crush been, on Esri. Uh, <laughs> a little bit, jeez. But no, I uh, uh but no, I've been watching the 6th and 7th season uh in order and just because I remember watching the finale of D Space 9 and like that whole arc leading up to it and I just wanted to relive that recently, so I've been doing a rewatch, <laughs> for sure. That's good. But we're still on uh, Next Generation. Still on the Next Gen. There was a uh, matriarchal society that was showcased in Angel One. Yeah. Which, it's, <laughs> it's a horrible episode, just like structurally and, and Rin, but just the concept of like... Yeah. Um, uh, of, like, a female-dominated society and, like, the men are subservient. Like, right. A at the time, it was it was kind of like, whoa, they're they're doing this? So... Yeah, the next gen definitely, especially in the first season... They took some chances. Yeah. And not all of them worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, it was it was interesting seeing uh you know a bare chested, clean shaven Will Riker, just like oh yeah, they'd he... all hang out. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that was funny because I mean it you know it dealt with issues of like what a matriarchal society would be like in that you know the the men are objectified you know mm-hmm. they're the ones that are showing more skin you know that they're the ones that are being more sexualized i guess mm-hmm. hmm. so when you say that it was a bad episode does that just not play out well or what's or is it the it's story they're badly written Oh, okay. It was it was a badly run episode. Um, <laughs> it, it it was just it was one of the stinkers of the first season, uh, but as a concept, it's very interesting. I just don't think they played executed. it out well enough. Yeah, it yeah. didn't execute well. There was another episode where I don't think it was a matriarchal society, but it was. I want to say based around maybe African. That was a society. horrible episode because it went like too on the nose with that. Yeah, and and then it was Yar and this female uh, fighting over this one guy. Yeah, <laughs> and they went after, went at it at, to the it, death. It was just weird, Doug. In the group chat, I'm gonna link the episode uh, that we just talked about. There's yep. a picture of, of Riker's outfit that, that he's given. And he even says, he's like, or was it Troy? And she's like, hey, it's kind of sexy. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm all, I haven't even looked at it yet, but I'm already upset because you said that they shaved his beard off. Well, he didn't have the beard. He didn't have the oh. beard in the first season. He yeah. grew it in the okay. second season. Gotcha. Yeah, but he beard. is a result of this. I was like, what did they do? <laughs> <laughs> but no, he, he actually shaved it in the movie insurrection like the one after first contact mm-hmm. because they were they were kind of feeling the effects of this radiation that made them feel younger and so he, Troy and him start rekindling their relationship and she kisses him and she's like oh I never kissed you with the beard before and then and yep. then and then he shaved the beard yeah and <laughs> which they, they even make a joke of it because uh, Data sees him and does kind of this double take, and and Riker says, "Hey, smooth as an android's bottom, right, Data?" And then, like at the end of the scene, like Data like like strokes his chin like that, and he goes, "Nope." <laughs> <laughs> he just shakes his head, no. <laughs> as, like it's not as smooth. It, it was funny. I don't know if you've watched. People like to put inconsistencies together in YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. And they have this uh, inconsistency where they mention the scene you were talking about with uh, Troy Kish kissing Riker with the beard, saying, "Oh, I never kissed you with the beard before." But and he then, did. Yeah. Then they show Next Generation episodes where she's kissing him with the beard. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's so funny though, because most of what I most of what I saw of Star Trek was because my sister watched Star Trek. And yeah. so I know most of what I remember is Voyager. That's the hu- that's the one she watched the most. But I know she watched a little bit of TNG. I must have just never seen early stuff. I must have only seen. It uh, was it really it was only the first season that Riker was beardless. <laughs> yes, that was eighty seven. Eighty seven, yeah. Oh my god. This yeah. outfit though, oh, this is uh, dare I say fabulous. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and and he. <laughs> He's got the chest hair. It's like boom. 
<laughs> is this some sort of like? Is this a weird reflection, or does he have some sort of weird ear jewelry on? What yeah. is that? No, I think yeah. he does have <laughs> ear jewelry. Yeah, he does. They they gave him ear jewelry. Yeah. yeah. And a really strange like. Uh, it's like his shirt becomes a bikini, sort of. Yeah. It, was, it was so weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean. I mean, you should. If there's one episode to watch in HD, it's the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got the Blu-ray. I've got the yeah. Blu-ray. <laughs> All right, bring it over. <laughs> I, w- I will. I will tomorrow. <laughs> oh, but really, it's it's rins so badly. <laughs> yeah. I actually put that one on my memory. I'm glad you uh, <laughs> brought it back up. Sorry, whoops. <laughs> yeah. So another interesting reoccurring theme in Star Trek, which started in the original because we have a half-human, half-Vulcan, uh, interspecies relationships, which I think they could get away with more than maybe interracial relationships. Well, the first, we didn't talk about that, but the first interracial kiss was on Star Trek, the original series, between Uhura and Kirk. Yeah, which was forced from an alien for- forces them to kiss. Right. Which is why they were able to get away with it and air it because it wasn't like they it wasn't free will at work. It was they were yeah, they made to kiss. Forced to. Yeah. yeah. But we have Worf in Troy. I almost said Je- I almost said Jadzia. We have Worf in Troy in a inter a weird kind of relationship. Weird because it, it just didn't fit. It it didn't fit. It, the- it didn't fit. It was so out of left field with like what was that like the seventh season or sixth season? Yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it, it was. It was a later, later season. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not that it was weird that they were in a relationship. Well, it was weird that they were in a relationship, but it wasn't because it was weird because they were interspecies relationship. It was just weird because those characters never really connected like that before and it just it kind of came out of left field in the next generation but that was the dark time just (laughs) she's meant for Riker (laughs) wasn't there even this thing like Riker and Worf kind of butted heads because of it and well definitely in the last episode the uh all good things because they show uh you know future events possible future yeah I can't think of another episode that shows Oh no! I can't think of another episode that like shows them coming at at odds, other than the last episode. Yeah. Because like Riker goes, "Oh, uh, do you want to get a bite to eat later tonight?" And then she goes, "Oh, we have plans." And he goes, "Oh, I'm sorry." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, drama! Yeah. <laughs> drama yeah. alert in Star Trek. Right. The the next the the last thing for uh, the next generation there was an episode that was supposed to be made or they tried to get made uh, called Blood and Fire um, it was an episode written by David Gerald and the script was commissioned and written but it was never filmed uh, according to Gerald some of the production staff including Rick Berman had a negative reaction to its positive depiction of an openly gay couple so it was eventually turned into a standalone uh, novel and filmed as an episode of the fan series Star Trek New Voyages. So, yeah, there was, uh, in the original script, the crew of the Enterprise-D came upon a derelict spaceship whose crew had been killed off by Regulan bloodworms. 
Since these creatures are highly dangerous and can kill within hours, any ship or space station found to be infested with them must be sterilized or destroyed, per Starfleet orders. The concept of Regulan bloodworms mentioned in dialogue in the original Star Trek series, but never explained until this episode, was intended to be a metaphor for the public's fear of AIDS. Gerald said that since he also intended the episode to be to specifically address the public's fear of donating blood, he wanted to include a title card encouraging viewers to donate blood via the Red Cross. Hmm. Hmm. That would have been a powerful episode if they got it to air. Wow. Yeah. And it wasn't until so it wasn't until you know, in the 2000s when Enterprise was around that they created, like, this kind of AIDS allegory in the episode Stigma for mm. Enterprise, which which was, that was a powerful episode. Yeah. I didn't see the uh, fan film adaptation of this, but I think the main character is supposed to be Kirk's nephew. Oh, that's right. The character in question, yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, that's... That's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I, I haven't I'm haven't been too big on fan films lately because of certain That's events. Hard. I mean <laughs> You know something sad that happened today? What? Not not really sad, but uh, you know one of those posters that you gave me, the Axonar ones. Yeah. I had it in I had it in a frame and I was moving stuff around and that fell and cracked. And it, did it rip the poster, or...? No, it just fell and cracked. It's a sign! Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> this is meaningful. And I was like, ah, oh, there's glass everywhere. <laughs> just like uh, Peter's uh, shattering the fandom. Oh, oh snap. <laughs> Mic drop. I'm completely bitter about XNR. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we'll move on to uh, Deep Space Nine. This was the first series to have an African-American leading officer uh, as commander and then later captain of the station. Mm -hmm. uh, this was also the first series to have a female first officer. She was uh, Major Kira, a Bajoran who didn't trust her new Starfleet co-workers. And one thing that, that I wrote in the show notes was mm -hmm. this had the most... Alien crew, out of or, or alien cast, out of all the other series. It was very diverse. It had so many secondary characters too. I think mm -hmm. Space Nine has the strongest set of secondary characters of any series. Yeah, in Star Trek. I agree. And most of them were aliens. Yeah, well, I mean, they were in, at an alien outpost that was, you know, taken over by the Federation to kind of help the Bajorans out on the edge of the frontier. Exactly. Like we mentioned before, they really expanded on those species that were introduced in The Next Generation right. and really fleshed out the cultures, mm -hmm. which are also just kind of allegories for cultures on Earth. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, the Ferengi are basically the most extreme capitalists you know, I mean, it's all about money, money, money. Right. And also they expanded on the trill and those gender identity issues, which we talked about earlier. And, you know, just a whole species that that deals with that 
you know, mm-hmm. on an entire planetary scale. It it just kind of opens up like, yeah, if you know, if a whole planet of these alien beings, even though this is fictional, it's like if they can be that accepting, it's like why can't we just wake up and and be accepting as well? You know what right. I mean? And and another diverse thing from from the series Deep Space Nine is uh, religion. The Bajorans had you know a richly created religion. They showed the interaction between the religious and the non-religious. Mm-hmm. You have uh, Cisco who becomes this figurehead that doesn't want to be a figurehead at the beginning, kind of. But like, it comes to fully embrace it towards the end of the series. Right. And just watching like you know the last couple seasons uh, recently at Deep Space Nine, I I almost forgot how religious Kira was. Mm. Um, I mean, she was deeply into uh, the Bajoran religion. She was a full believer. And I just watched the episode from the seventh season where Dukat was, like, leading the, the Pa Wraith cult, yep. and she was transported over to, to the other space station. And, I mean, that was, like, religious, you know, two religious extremes colliding. Mm. And... I mean, just how powerful that is, talking about that, like, when we're dealing with that stuff in today's society. Mind-blowing. Deep Space Nine. It's a good show. (laughs) Yeah. You have to, like, deal with the first couple of seasons, but once once you get through those, uh, it's it's a really good, really good series to uh, sink your teeth into. TV Guide called it the best show no one's watching. Did they really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. The best show no one's watching. Yeah. So everyone should watch it. Yeah. It's uh, some powerful stuff there. I fell into a, a little rabbit hole here when I was looking at Deep Space Nine stuff, because it's, it's probably the one I'm the least familiar with, but okay. Bashir, mm-hmm. yes. Medical Officer Bashir, do they, do they address what his race is supposed to be or anything like that? I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of... He's almost... It's almost like he's Iranian because his parents. I mean, his parents come into into Except, a few episodes. I wasn't sure if he was supposed to be Indian or. They're well, very. The, they're very Middle Eastern, like. Yeah, the actor is Sudanese. Like I know he's North African, yeah. but I wasn't sure if they really ever addressed that. But they must have. It was intentional. I mean, his last name is Bashir, so. I thought that was pretty interesting. Had, had they had any like significant characters that were Middle Eastern prior to that? North African? No. They, well, Khan was supposed to be... Yeah, Khan was supposed to be like this kind of Middle Eastern, like kind of Chinese in that kind of region. Yeah. But... And then they hired, you know, Ricardo Monteblon and yeah. But they you know, they put yeah. him in like, you know, dark makeup in the original series. They got rid of that for the movie. But during the series he's kinda like almost blackface in, in the ser- in the episode. Yeah, that that was just that was weird. So you saw his his page, right? On Memory Alpha, Doug? I'm looking at his I'm looking at his actor page on Wikipedia and then his character page on Wikipedia as well. So then let me give you this link here because this link shows his parents, and yeah, I mean they're very they're, they are Middle Eastern, hmm. which, which is great. I mean that they, I, I'm glad you brought up Julian's character. I I almost forgot 
I, I think Bashir is such a great character. He's so funny and his character. I didn't like him at first. Um, at first, he he was a pompous jerk. He was a jerk and annoying, and was trying to get with Jedzia every other episode. Oh no! <laughs> but but no, his character was one of the ones that grew the most in that show. Yeah, no, I agree. Interesting, he was product of genetic engineering because he was born with some kind of... He was born with mental defects. Defects, so his parents... And his parents illegally genetically modified him and enhanced him to be smarter. So he's almost kind of like related to that whole con thing because the reason Starfleet uh, or the Federation has banned genetic engineering is because of the fear of another uh, Superman-type species like Khan. So that's why the Federation has like strict guidelines about genetic engineering. And that I think that was the greatest twist in Julian Bashir's character. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. was, I mean, that gave his character so much development. Right, and once that happened, he was like, oh, okay, now I don't have to you know, hold back anymore. Because he was saying that he would he would hold back his his abilities because he didn't want people to find out that he was genetically engineered. Hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's that's such a great lesson too because you know people are you know afraid to show them tr their true selves you know for fear of being discriminated against. Mm -hmm. Oh wow, um, another another thing from. <laughs> It it starts in the next gen and then continues in in uh, Deep Space Nine because of uh, Miles O'Brien is actually yes. married to uh, Keiko. I don't remember her last name, but it becomes O'Brien, and she is. Uh, I think it's Keiko uh, Iwasha. Maybe she, she's she's supposed to be uh, Japanese. Japanese, and, and they get married. So that's uh, an example of interracial. An interracial relationship. Yeah, that they that they showed in. Yeah, they got married in the Next Generation. Yep, yep. Data gave her away. Oh, that was a uh, Data's Day, right? Yeah, yeah. I think we were talking episode. about that the other day. Yeah, yeah, watch Data's Day, Doug, if you if you get the chance. Data's Day. Yep. Yeah. Data's Day. I've got a list going. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> if this I was great. If this was one big ploy to get me to watch a lot more Star Trek, you've won. <laughs> <laughs> Bingo. Ishikawa. Uh, oh, yeah, Ish Ishikawa. There yeah. we go. Oh, and there's also an Asian nurse in The Next Generation. Uh, uh, nurse yes. Okawa, I think. No, uh, uh, Alyssa Osawa. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And she even... <laughs> She even showed up in, in the movies, too, in uh, First Contact. She was there. I actually just got her in uh, my timelines as, oh, CM really? as CMO, um, Chief Medical Officer version of her. Must have been from, from the an future? alternate timeline or something. Yeah, you you know who I got in timelines? Who? I got that, that jerk, uh, Commander Maddox, who... Uh, <laughs> well, from who, Data's Day. From Data's Day, <laughs> oddly enough. Yeah. Oh, I also got the Changeling uh, Julian Bashir. I did too. And I got uh, Shran. 
You bastard! You got Shrun! I got Shrun. Son of a bitch! Yeah. I, no! And I got Klingon Dukat as well. No, I need the Andorian character. I'm Me. sorry. I got no. it was a, it was like one of those choices, you know how the pops up and you Oh I know, and it's like it's like behold. Yeah, and you get so Shron and then these two other uh Sloan and so on uh I can't remember the third. And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna pick Shron and then I'm gonna tell Eric Just rub it in my face, <laughs> you're a jerk. <laughs> Uh, uh, Ashley has some too, by the way. Oh, I know. You told me about that. <laughs> Why don't you I all love, have I Shrine? love you, Eric. I love, I love you. you too. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on to my one of my favorite Star Trek series, uh, Voyager. Voyager was the first series to have a woman as a captain, which was a, a regular on the show, and uh, the first female uh, chief engineer. With the first one. regular, I guess, because right. yeah. uh, the first season of The Next Generation went through so many chief engineers. I know, there was, like a, there was like a dozen chief engineers. It's like, which one of you are the real chief engineer? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that doesn't count. Uh, right. but, <laughs> but, no, uh, yeah, with uh, Bolana Torres. Yeah, I thought Bolana's character was, was uh, great, and it definitely evolved. She's half Klingon, half human. And in a unique twist, um, her mom was the one that was Klingon, and and her dad was was human. Which because they 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 always like it always seems to me in Star Trek like they always make the dude the alien for whatever reason, which is weird. And you know Torres, so she's got this like uh, Mexican heritage as well, uh, which they they touch upon a couple of times. Right, uh, and and she's in a interracial species relationship uh, with yes. Tom Paris. Yeah, with Tom Paris. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah. God, and what a great uh, they they had such a great story with that. They, I I think I think Tom and Bellana's romantic arc is one of my favorite. I think they're my favorite couple in Star Trek. Really? Yeah. I think you have a bias. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I just I just thought it was uh, well done. Also, Voyager has a Native American first officer mm-hmm. with Chicote. Yep, and we see um, Native Americans present in the 24th century in the next generation. Next generation uh, journeys end uh, with. Uh, with Wesley, uh, Wesley. When, when he... That was his last episode. Right, where we have this uh, kind of a border conflict with the Cardassians and... And, uh, and the Federation. And the Federation and... and this planet in the middle, it's actually a planet of, like, uh, you know, Native American peoples. They, they, like, settled on their own planet. And it's like, once again their land is trying to be taken away by an outside force. And that's when the Maquis develop, uh, which is the resistance group uh, that are against the Cardassians and the Federation because of this whole conflict, because they're losing worlds. And they wanted to tie Chakotay's character. We've talked about this before on the show. Mm-hmm. But they wanted, to, they wanted to imply that he was from that planet in Journey's End. 
But they just, they never really said that in the right, show. Right, but I mean, he's Maquis. Yeah. And he's Native American. Yeah. You know, and he was going on, like, some of the same, together. he was going on the same spiritual quests that were shown in Journey's End, too. You know, right. we talked about spirit walks and, and all that stuff, which which was shown in uh, Journey's End as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I love Voyager. It's it's great. And, oh, yeah, uh, Tuvok yes. uh, was a, like, a black Vulcan. Right, and up until that point, you didn't, most of the ones I ever saw were uh, Caucasian white, white Vulcans. Yeah. I, it, it didn't even occur to me that there might be um, other races of Vulcans, right? That more diverse skin complexions. And then after Voyager, in the episode I, I just watched of, of Deep Space Nine, "Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite," when they fight, well, when they go against the Vulcan, all Vulcan crew, mm-hmm. th- there's a diverse, a more diverse Vulcan crew uh, shown in that episode. Mm. So That's very good. They have Neelix, uh, so another alien on the show. What I think is great about Neelix's character is that he is so welcoming and accepting of pretty much everyone. Mm. And he is their ambassador in the Delta Quadrant. They name him the, the ambassador. And it's because he has this way with people that, you know, he can open people up and talk about their problems. Mm-hmm. Oh, one one thing, I mean, the crew was made of of the Federation, or Starfleet, and Marquis. Yeah, so you have two conflicting crews, which in the first couple seasons really butted heads. Mm-hmm. And it was the fact that, you know, Janeway had the idea from the beginning to merge the two crews together, that's why Chakotay is her first officer, because she trusted him enough to be that that bridge between uh, the Federation and, and Maquis uh, crew members. Mm. And good thing, good thing their original first officer passed away in the first episode. Yeah, Ms. Very, oh, Ms. very convenient. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was convenient that like half the crew died, and then hey, we've got all these other people that can replace them. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I know you're not the biggest fan of Voyager, Aaron, but I think um, you know not not just diversity, but Voyager's whole theme was about family and mm-hmm. bringing people together, and. It almost like towards the end they almost kind of bludgeon you with the word family yeah. uh, in those last couple seasons, but it was it was a recurring theme throughout the series that you know they're in this for the long haul. It's going to be you know maybe a seventy year journey, so we have to come together as a family. Mm-hmm. So I, I I think I think that concept goes uh, well with with diversity as well because. I mean, in the end, you know, we're all we all have to share the same planet, so we right. might as well get along. Yeah, uh, that's. I mean, that's just what Star Trek is about. Right. Then we move on to another favorite series of mine, uh, Enterprise. Enterprise, because it was set before the original series, they and it was because of Earth was first getting out there into, uh, into space. 
it kind of brought up more of those xenophobic attitudes that were shown in the original series, mm-hmm. especially the last season of Enterprise uh, with that Terra Prime episode. Uh, we, I was just going to uh, interject. We just talked about that in our last episode as well. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. there was that big xenophobic uh, attitudes, you know, um, and also when they dealt with the Zindi arc, when the Zindi attacked Earth and so many were killed, it was like we were just stepping out into uh, space, and now it's like because of this attack by an alien species, now we ha- kind of rein ourselves back in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some people had that attitude, especially Trip. Um, because of his sister dying, you know, he wanted revenge. And it was a very, like, 9-11, because Enterprise happened... I mean, Enterprise premiered a week after 9-11 happened. Yeah. Yeah. And so the third season of Enterprise kind of corresponded with that whole, like, we're going to Iraq and, you know, the whole... that whole war. So the third season of Enterprise is basically like the allegory for, you know, the, like, Iraqi veterans and, you know, dealing with terrorism. And, yeah, xenophobia became an issue in Enterprise, but I think they did a great job of addressing it in the show. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Going to back to, like like, gender issues, there was actually an episode of... Uh, Enterprise called Cogenitor, and it's where the Enterprise encounters a race uh, that actually includes a third gender that are actually treated like second-class citizens. And it's actually kind of a powerful episode because I think in a way, and that episode was directed by LeVar Byrne. Oh, nice. Um, Yeah. So it deals, it's it's one of those episodes that directly deals with gender issues. And yeah, they had to, you know, invent a third gender to, you know, to do the allegory part of it. But, I mean, I I would think that, you know, it would kind of deal with what's going on now where, you know, there's these battle for transgender issues and equality and transgender people not getting the same rights as, as everyone else. Mm-hmm. And you know this whole second-class citizen idea—it's—it's uh, it's like a, it's a direct—it's a direct allegory to what's happening right now. And Enterprise—I mean, this was an episode that aired in 2003, so even like a 12 years ago, I mean, and Star Trek was dealing with these issues. So that's why I always think like Star Trek is a, is ahead of its time when you know they, they deal with this stuff. Yeah, actually, I confused this episode um, and species with the Denoblians, but that's just because they they're swingers. They don't have a third species. <laughs> they don't have a third species, uh, third gender. No. They're just swingers. That I, that's <laughs> why I got them confused. <laughs> and um, but actually, um, it was mentioned in the uh, Next Generation that. Um, Andorians actually have four genders. Oh, wow. And that was mentioned in an episode? Yeah. Data, I think it was Data's Day, too, because they're talking about weddings. Hmm. Data's Day is a very important episode. But Data mentions, Data mentions that the Andorians require four people to get, like, married. But, 
the actually the book series delve into that. Like they took that line and turned it into that uh, Andorians have four genders. Mm. So yeah, it's it's crazy. It, a lot's being thrown at you, Doug. What, what do yeah. you? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is this is awesome. I mean, one of the reasons I was drawn to it in the first place was because we had talked about it in a 70s sci-fi class that I took in college, and we mm-hmm. talked about some of this stuff, and I, I said to myself, man, this is this stuff is way more aligned with a lot of the stuff I'm thinking about on a, on a regular basis than I thought originally. So even though I watched it with my sister and thought it was a cool series, I realized it was way more important of a series than I initially thought when I got, got into those classes in college, so... This is cool. This is giving me a lot of a lot of places to start. So, oh, good, good. I think it's it was the same way with me because you know growing up, you know, I I was watching Star Trek since I was five, and when you're growing up, like you take different lessons. And I know Aaron, we've talked about this before on yep. on the show. Yep. But it's like you you can revisit these episodes at different points in your life and get something completely different from these episodes. So I, uh, that's that's just what I think. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, when I watched the original series when I was younger, I, I'm probably, I'm definitely sure I mentioned this before. One summer, uh, the local TV station that played Star Trek Next Generation in syndication every night <laughs> to, to decide... <laughs> I want to live there! <laughs> to Boston. They don't do it anymore, but um, they, uh, they played every night, and then they decided for the summer to switch it up to the original series. And mm. I can't tell you how much that bummed me out. I was like, oh, man, I don't want to watch this this crap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but then I ended up watching it, and I watched it just because it was Star Trek. Because mm-hmm. um, before they had it, like, the original series was on at late night, so I wasn't up watching it. Right. Uh, and then they had this, and I was like, oh. But now I'll sit down. When it's on MeTV Saturdays at... Uh, 9 p.m. Plug. I'll be like, yeah, ETV. <laughs> I'll go and watch it. You know what? I had a similar attitude about the original series when I was younger. I always thought it was boring and too talky and just like, Ugh, I don't want to watch this. Mm-hmm. And But, you know, when I grew out of that phase, uh, the original series is, is pretty powerful in some of its stories. Yep. So moving on to games, I was actually playing Star Trek Timelines yesterday. And they introduce this new event. So every every day or every other day, they do like a limited event that they repeat, you know, every week, um, just you know, so you can get those missions. And it dealt with like the requirements are anyone in these missions to pick, you need like an all uh, woman crew to to finish these missions. Are these the challenge missions? Yes, the challenge missions. Oh, okay. Yep. And there was, and I, I posted a screenshot of this on, on Twitter, but there was this one mission where it was like, it was Riker, and, and he was saying, you know, we, we have to like, where, you know, they have to bring equality across the Federation to all genders. And because in, in timelines, it's, it's, you know, this crisis that's happening in the story, so it's an excuse for people from alternate realities or timelines to, like, invade our galaxy. And so there are certain species that are, you know, very either xenophobic or, you know, they have these attitudes towards women or different cultures. And the fact that, you know, this game is is dealing with those issues, even though it's a Star Trek game, 
it's like, wow, you know, that's why this app gets my money, actually, is because th they're telling stories that continue the morals that Star Trek teaches us. And it's like, wow, and I'm getting that from a mobile game. Like, what? <laughs> I, I, I didn't think that was possible, but... Yeah, let me let me bring up that screenshot really quick because it was like Riker saying something because he's the one that's like leading these missions. So um, Eric, I don't think you're gonna like my quantum state of flux this week. Well, <laughs> I have a counterpoint because I read your state of flux. Oh, okay. So yeah, so one when, when the mission ended, Riker said, uh, "Starfleet sets the standards. That's why you and I are going to continue intervening in situations of gender abuse across the Federation." with female officers whenever possible, just to drive the point home. And you have, like, it's a conversation where you have, like, three choices to respond. And, he's, and so you could say, well, my officers are more capable no matter their gender. Or you don't give our citizens enough credit, they'll stand up to injustice. And there's one that says, I'm not convinced this is a widespread problem, as you say. <laughs> so j just the fact that they're, like, dealing... With, I, I mean, it's very basic, but the right. fact that they're even mentioning it in a game is is kind of cool. Yeah, I don't. I haven't beaten the first challenge, so I uh, I haven't gotten that one yet. My my standard crew members, uh -huh. like the one or two star, aren't powerful enough to win that's the why, missions. That's why you gotta keep leveling up, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. But I digress. Uh, we can move on to books. We'll move on to done. books. Books. Uh, so while rumors have persisted that Lieutenant Hawk from Star Trek First Contact was originally intended to be Star Trek's first openly gay character, actually, uh, before I continue, there was also rumors for an Enterprise that Reed might become uh, a gay character. I, I remember that. I remember there being talk, especially when it was airing, that, that Reed might be gay. Yeah, especially during the first season. You, I mean, I don't know if there was anything pointing to that. Not not really. He was just kind of a shy character uh, right. who, who liked guns. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, I'm shy, but I'm going to shoot you. Yeah, but but anyway, moving on. That, that never happened, obviously. So, uh, continuing with what I was saying, Lieutenant Hawk from First Contact was intended... To, there were rumors they was intended to be Star Trek's first openly gay, gay character, uh, but the producers of First Contact and actor Neil McDonough have denied this. However, Hawk is indeed depicted as being gay in the novel Section 31 Rogue. That would be a good, good name for a movie. Which has been referenced again in the Star Trek Titan novels where his partner, an unjoined trill named Ranu Kieru yeah. uh, served as the Titan's chief security officer. Nice. To me, it, it sucks that you know Star Trek is, you know, all about diversity and, and all this stuff yet, you know, it's only in the books or some other form of media, not the television show, where we mm -hmm. see gay characters. Right. So, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of ironic for a television series that that's supposed to be so diverse that, uh, I, who knows, maybe the new Star Trek series. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, look at, uh, First Contact came out in 96. Right. Uh, 
Ellen came out in 90-something, right? Right around the same place, yeah. Or right around the same time. Yeah, so I mean, mm-hmm. it was something kind of new. I don't know if they would have, you know, gone full in at that time. I, I think maybe during Enterprise would have been a prime time to do it since uh, but, he has... But for whatever reason, they never took that leap. Yeah. Even with those rumors about Reed. Right. Uh, it's it, uh, it's it's disappointing. No, I agree. So, and my last point uh, regarding the book series, I love the series Star Trek New Frontier. It's written by Peter David. He's written many science fiction television show episodes. You know, he's written many novels. But there's a member of the Excalibur, which is the ship in New Frontier, uh, named uh, Burgoyne 172, which is a member of the Hermat species, which is neither exactly male or female, but instead a combination of the two. As such, the character is generally referred to in the books and comic books by merged personal pronouns like Shahi and here. Like, so instead of she or he, it's Shahi. And instead of his or her, it's here. So, uh, originally, Burgoyne uh, served as the chief engineer of the Excalibur under uh, Captains uh, Corsmo and Calhoun, but has since received a promotion and now holds the position of first officer on the current ship bearing the name. Burgoyne has become romantically involved with Dr. Sellar, which was a character from The Next Generation, uh, and together they have one child. So... Even in the books, you know, it takes, like, an allegory species to, you know, a species allegory to, you know, address some of these gender issues. Yeah, but, I mean, even with the original series, you needed that that alien to serve as the, as, as the character. You couldn't just throw in a human character in that situation. Right. Uh, but I mean, given time, I think I think that'll change. Yeah, that's why I'm I'm pretty hopeful for the new Star Trek series, especially with the the people that are behind it right now, like all the producers and writers that have been named so far. I I think they can take a step and really break some ground with you know with telling these stories and introducing characters that we haven't seen before. Yeah. Uh, Doug, I was uh, wondering what you would like to see in regards to uh, a gay character in the next Star Trek series, if, if they were going to make one. What would you like to see in a, in a gay character? It would be nice for them to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I am really, really surprised that it's never, never been in the show, and even more surprised it's never been in the book. Because I feel like books and comic books get away with a whole lot more. Well, no, that's what I'm saying. The the books have gone away with it. Oh, okay. But it, but it's never been in the series. Like, I mean, basically, we have in in the book series I just mentioned, New Frontier. Yeah. It's basically a hermaphrodite species. Yeah. And, um, th- to the fact that they have to have new pronouns. Yeah. So, uh, it it takes the books and the comics to do that. But I'm saying. It's like, why can't the series do that too? Yeah, well, and they very easily could. I think I, I would be shocked. I would be absolutely shocked if an, if the new series doesn't include someone that is easily identifiable as 
a gay or a lesbian or a bi-human uh, character or an overtly trans character because it would be easy to do and those types of characters are showing up on TV so much lately. And I sure. think, to, to actually answer your question, Aaron, I think mm -hmm. what I would want from that type of character on a Star Trek series is to be treated similarly to the other types of characters on the show. When you have cast or when you have crew members of color, they're not explicitly constantly called out or a, addressed as crew members of color, but they still get storylines and they still are important and they still matter. And I just think that if, if they're going to put a gay character in there or a lesbian character in there or anybody that falls under that LGBTQIA alphabet soup um, initialism. Right. Yeah. <laughs> alphabet <laughs> soup. Yeah. yeah. There's so many letters, you know, you can only say so many at once. But I, I, want the, I want them to be there and I want them to be identified. It is a little bit harder with some of these characters because you can't point at somebody and just look at them and say, like, well, that person's obviously this letter. Whereas you can look at a, you know, a black actor and say, like, this character is probably also black. So right. I, you'd have to do some sort of identification. But I, I don't want it to be something, you know, it doesn't need to be a huge thing unless it's a natural thing that would already happen. It would seem a little bit weird depending on when the series took place for them to still be hung up on it because they're not hung up on so much other human stuff. But I, they'd have to do something to identify it, I think. So as, as long, I, I think, like, something where it's like it, they don't make it like a gimmick or they're doing it just for the sake of doing it. Right. I think the easiest thing to do would be to have a character who has a family and their spouse or their partner or their whomever is the same gender identity as them as we would understand it as viewers. I think that would be the easiest thing for them to do. When somebody goes, you know... Like when they go back to their quarters and, yeah. and their uh, you know, significant other is there. Yeah. And it, it's, just, it's not a shocking thing. It's just like, hey, I'm going home and, oh yeah, my you know, my married partner just happens to be the same gender as I do. Like, yeah. that's a subtle way of doing it without calling it out. Like, another character going, you're gay! You know, right, like, right. like that. Yeah. I, I think that's one of the reasons why they haven't done it in a series, because they don't really know how to approach it. They don't want to be all in your face about it, I think. And they're trying to figure out a way that to, isn't offensive. Yeah. To me, to me, then why not just hire a writer who is, is, you know, LGBT. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like, why not just hire a writer to to be the quote-unquote expert on it? Yeah. You know what I mean? And that, that would be a natural way to do it, I would think. Yeah, find a consultant somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah, they have, they have science consultants. Yeah. Um, and another thing, I mean, this series is going to be on CBS All Access. It's not going to be a terrestrial broadcast. So, I mean, they can probably get away with so much more than they could if it was on uh, broadcast TV. Yeah, who knows? I mean, I don't know what CBS All Access original programming is going to be like since this will be one of the first series uh, in that <laughs> format. But I would almost want it to be like a Netflix type of thing where you can get away with a little more sexuality and, you know, action and, and maybe violence. Not that I want Star Trek to become all grimdark and, you know, blood, like, oh, no, my arm got cut off. And, you know... <laughs> that would nothing, be cool. Nothing gory like that. But, <laughs> yeah. But you know what I mean? I, I think they can push the boundaries more 
when yeah. it's not tied to broadcast television. I think it would be it'd be so easy to do. I, I mean, it's not being it, they don't have to pander. Well, there's some advertisers, but they don't have to pander to television advertisers. And it's you opt in, you know, like you don't stumble across this series on CBS All Access. <laughs> no, well, you the fans are going to be paying to watch this series. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's so, that's what Lee Moonves is is counting on. Yeah, the director of CBS. Yeah, I think it'd be an easy thing to do. I think as long as you as long as you put something out there to identify that character that doesn't feel gimmicky. I think if you don't make a big deal about it, and I think if it's established very early on in that kind of setting we were talking about, where this is something that's already been happening. You know, we don't have this big, huge, budding romance between these two characters, and it also happens to be a big reveal, and there's CW drama all over it. Like, just it's just a thing that exists, and it's all it's been existing. Yeah, don't make and a big deal. It's just it. it's just something that happens. And yeah. that would kind of like retcon all the past history of Star Trek, where, of course, the Federation and, and humans have evolved to be accepting and, and this utopian future that Gene Ronberry predicted of, like, you know, you know, no discrimination and all of that stuff. So I would hope it's like what Doug says. We're mm. at this point in the Star Trek universe, no matter what timeline, if they're in the Federation, at this point... That's already an accepted thing, and it's right. not like a big drama point. I think I think it's it's important to note that one of the reasons I want this character to be introduced that way is because it is exactly that. It's this utopian society. It is Star Trek. I think stories where it's really overt and where it's really kind of like you get beaten over the head with it are important. I just don't think this is the setting for it. I think this setting makes way more sense to, mm. to take it in that direction. Absolutely. Also, more than one. That would be nice. Yes. <laughs> well, if, if, it's Maybe even a... if it ends up being an anthology series, I'm sure that would that Yeah. Would mm -hmm. Where people of color would be nice. Gender fluidity would be nice. I think messing with our concept of gender binary would be awesome. I think most of the characters we get on TV and in mass media are what are called just like super binary or high femme trans people. We rarely ever see trans men on TV, women who transition to identifying as men, and when we do, they're super masculine, or when we get trans women, they're super feminine, so something that doesn't conform to that would be awesome, <laughs> but I'm getting ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, it's like, then, then why not, you know, that species that I mentioned, you know, uh, from New Frontier, you know, bring up gender issues that way, too. Just make it I mean, that's the thing. It's like going back to, like, the IDIC. I mean, this universe, like, who knows what kind of, like, out there and, like, I, it's it's just that there's, there's no real normal in Star Trek because everything is so different. Right. It, like, what's normal at that point? Right, you, know? you can do whatever you want. Yeah. I could quote Dr. Sarin, uh, but I won't. <laughs> Uh, from Star Trek Generations. Oh, what? When Jordy asks, what's normal? And then Dr. Karen oh, goes, oh, normal is what everyone else is, and you are not. Because <laughs> uh, he's, he's blind, Jordy. Yeah. Uh, why don't we move to the subspace channels? And in this segment, we ask the community on uh, social media a question. And this week we asked, when you need to escape from reality... 
which Star Trek episode or movie do you turn to? And now, for the first time ever in our 60-plus episodes, we got an overwhelming response uh, to this question. We've gotten over 300 responses to this question. Normally, we can read through all the questions on a single episode. But not uh, today. Not today. Uh, we're get I went through, I selected a certain few that uh, elaborated a little bit more on the answers, because a lot of the answers were just episode names, or they would say all of them. Uh, <laughs> one person said Firefly. Um, oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> And then there was some, there was some JJ bashing because someone said you know oh, God. darkness and but it got crazy. That's what yeah, you're saying. <laughs> it got, it got crazy. Uh, if you want to know what I think about people that bash JJ, listen to the last episode in my <laughs> subspace, uh, in my uh, quantum flex rant. There but we this, go. Oh, before we move on, uh, Eric, let's say you're having a bad day. Okay. Uh, and you need a pick me up. What what episode? of Star Trek, or a movie, would you pop in? God, you know what? I My my go-to is always Star Trek First Contact. Okay. I've literally seen that movie 50 bajillion times. Like, it, it's, to me, that's my go-to. Um, it's just such a great movie, and I just love everything about that movie. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, that's... If, if I need escape from reality, I want to fight the Borg with Jean-Luc Picard in <laughs> Star Trek First Contact. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Doug, are there any episodes that you like? Um, that no, I hate all of them. No, uh, that, uh, <laughs> Everyone I've seen is just cool. <laughs> no, what's, okay, what's, what's cool for me is that because I haven't seen all of them, uh, it's actually f it's more fun for me to not have a go-to right now, because then I'm not getting anything new out of it. So I do like to, to hear in there, I'll have to tweet about this more when I'm doing it, but just randomly cherry-pick episodes, or when I see that one of the two of you is tweeting about an episode you're watching, sometimes I'll watch that one. The only one I can think of off the top of my head that I've gone back to multiple times is, this is totally random, and I, I don't know if it's going to have any significance at all, but because I said because I said Voyager was the one I watched the most because of my sister. Yeah. Shattered is one that stuck out, like stuck out to me, and oh. so I've gone back to that a few times. Shattered is a great episode. Yeah, it's not necessarily like I I need a pick me up episode, but if it's if there's something that I'm like returning to, it's usually that one. But for me, it's usually just finding something new. Okay. Nice. That's good. For what about me, you? Uh, for for me, it's a very same a similar wavelength uh, as Eric. I'm a big fan of the best of both worlds. And it's just, I don't know, that's not really a pick-me-up episode. Uh, it's not. <laughs> um, but it's something that you can definitely escape into, and you're just kind of, like, worried about what's going to... I know what's going to happen, but it's something that you could, like, just lose yourself in. Especially the sense. drama of that episode between Riker and Shelby. Oh, yeah. God, that was just awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that we most recently watched, and there was plenty of commentary. It was like, oh, snap, why did she yeah. say that? Oh. <laughs> that was really good. I like that one a lot. Another one I just watched recently, which I would recommend you to watch, Doug, is called OMG. 
What is it called? It's called OMG. I don't, uh, I don't remember that Star Trek episode. They really are ahead of their time. <laughs> uh, the Wounded. The Wounded. Which series is this? That's Next Gen. Okay. That I have is the, a good one. That is a good one. It was actually, I watched it because uh, this episode was, episode 64 was slated to be a different topic. Um, yeah. So I uh, was researching another topic, and that episode was uh, I was watching for for that research. Uh, but I definitely recommend uh, watching that. Yeah, it, it, at the time. it deals with a rogue Federation captain. Ooh, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> and war. War but, uh, was, was good, good for, for. Yep. <laughs> James. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so why don't we uh, jump into these questions? Because I did pick uh, quite a few. Uh, even okay. it's just shy of 300 uh, that I posted. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we'll be here all night. No. <laughs> Facebook, uh, we have oh man, uh, Silk, Silk. Yeah. Uh, Demis. Hmm. All of Next Gen, when I was in a hospital for an extended stay, that was what showed, and it kept me sane whilst I was away from my family. Huh. Uh, Christopher Lamontange said, uh, Troubles with Tribbles always gets me smiling. <laughs> I know that one. Yeah. <laughs> God, that, that shot of, like, just Kirk getting, like, dumped on by these Tribbles, it's, that's classic. I, I always laugh. Yeah, and have you seen the uh, animated GIF that someone put together of that? There's like, just, like, a Tribble, like, just keeps on falling out. Yeah, it, it, it just repeats, and it just yeah. goes, whoop, whoop. Yeah, that's, that's funny. And just the end shot. I mean, the whole time Kirk's just like, yep, this is happening. Just the look of defeat on his face. He's just like, this is happening. Yeah. Greg Kirpin says, it depends on my escape mood, to be honest, but I will put on almost anything Trek because I can completely turn off reality with virtually all of it. few exceptions in there, but not many. Nice. <laughs> Shappy C. Schultz. What are these names? <laughs> oh I, I didn't read the name. I just read the uh, the, the quote here uh, before. Uh, Relics, TNG, I cry every time. That's an awesome name. Uh, yeah. Jason Cook said, First Contact. It makes me think no matter how sh- humanity can be, there is hope of it being better. <laughs> Maggie Miller says, any one of them, it completely de-stresses me to watch Star Trek. I'm going through Voyager again now. Woohoo! Carl Titus, no question, Balance of Terror and Star Trek the Motion Picture. Helped me through a divorce. Thank you, Gene Roddenberry. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about therapy. Yeah. Uh, John Boomershine John Boomershine said, Next Generation Parallels reminds me that life is full of wonderful and terrifying possibilities. That's another great episode, Doug. Parallels from the Next Generation. Parallels. It, it, it deals with like alternate realities and cool stuff. Ooh, okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. 
Charlie Fraser says, true story, when I got home from work on September 11th after a day of tragic news, I watched like four or five of the original series episodes to decompress. Wow. Jim Glass says, for movie, first contact, for TV show, Enterprise story arc that starts with the embassy bombing on Vulcan. They are both cause for hope. Oh, the embassy bombing. That Was that Terra Prime? I think it was that story arc, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think. Fraser Hicks Jr. said, Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, usually helps me get a chance to look back at my life and the past. Oh, that's... And Pretty here's deep. a mouthful for you. Oh, whoa. Uh, <laughs> That's all right. You, Doug. I can do some live reading. It's all right. We're good. All right. Jürgen Braunohler says, Anything with drama and adventure in it, especially the Klingons, or time travel. In my mid-teens, I signed on as a crew member on a tall ship to seek reality and life experience. I had quite enough of a sheltered life. That was what I was trying to escape and wanted something real outside the home and the boring classroom. I felt stifled and didn't think you could learn everything from a book or at school, as important as they are. One of those who inspired me the most was Captain Kirk himself, an adventurer who took a practical, hands-on approach to life. For many things, experience is the best teacher. On a regular basis, I still plan a trip, pack a duffel, and go out and have an adventure. In between, I sit down and relax, put on Star Trek, and fantasize about more adventure in space. I watch other things in the adventure genre, too, my favorite being Ships at the Sea. When I've done that and taken care of responsibilities, I head out the door once more on another adventure. I've always tried to escape home, school, the workplace, etc., in search of real life, and School of Hard Knocks real world Sakatumi rock and roll adventure. Then come back for some more Star Trek and mundane domestic and work life on the job. Sometimes it has involved being on the job, like when I commanded a government expedition vessel with a crew of ju- juvenile delinquents I had to rehabilitate, which sounds awesome, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> I met prison inmates instead of Khan. I met native Indians who couldn't speak English instead of Klingons or Vulcans. I didn't have a phaser fight. I had a mutiny. Police drama. Storms and gales and shore leave, too. What, my ship had sails instead of warp engines? So what? When I had time off or a change in venue, I watched more Star Trek. You know what I love about First Contact? The rock and roll as the phoenix blasts off. Now, to me, that is what life is about. That is why I love Star Trek. Am I by any chance beginning to sound like Zephram Cochran talking to Riker about money and women? Smiley face. Uh, okay. This is the most interesting guy I've ever I, heard of. I want to hang out with uh, Jurgen. Right? I, I want to hang out with this guy. Yeah. I want to go on an adventure with Jurgen. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who doesn't want to... Wait, where is it? Who doesn't want to command a government expedition vessel with a crew of juvenile delinquents that you have to rehabilitate? I want that story. I want to know about that. Yeah. Like an episode. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, way, to, way to go, Jurgen, for being, like, having the most amazing comment I think we've ever had. Yeah, no, in that's this, by, in this podcast. by far. Yeah. I had to, I, how could I not include that? <laughs> that was awesome. Right. So, moving on to Twitter, we have at John... Perillo, the one where Spock, Bones, and Kirk are singing together over campfire. Very warming and reassuring. Friendship matters. At our good friend uh, Darren Mosier and Dr. Sci-Fi said, The Next Generation, Gambit, Parts 1 and 2. It's a space mystery and a very fun ride. 
On Google Plus, Jacob Rose says, honestly, Star Trek The Motion Picture, as it deals with some deep questions of existence, preconceptions, leadership, and understanding we humans will never understand the big picture in full. Next, we have Jonah E. From the original series, I enjoy the usual favorites. Besides the popular episodes, I especially like the Galileo 7. It's not particularly memorable to most people, but I like that it focused on Spock and his issues with other crew members who are not part of the bridge. He's the leader, but he struggles to maintain their respect and obedience. It also shows the difference between Vulcans and humans in the crisis situation. I think it's a good low-budget episode, and it's pretty underrated. My favorite episodes from the original series are Spock-centric, particularly if he's having an internal conflict. I also like to rewatch all Voyager episodes, focusing on Seven of Nine. She was awesome. I completely agree with that. I also enjoy rewatching episodes featuring Seven of Nine. I am sure you do. <laughs> but, but no, uh, her but point for different about, reasons. <laughs> no, her her point about the Galileo Seven is is a really good point. Like even though that's mostly a bottle show with with just the shuttlecraft, there's very high tension and and stakes uh, in that episode. Mm-hmm. So that's another one to add to the list. Uh, <laughs> O'Shea James said, "Good question." I like any episode that is a sort of mystery that has some weird space anomaly. Those are always good. And Rebecca S. says, I love to watch any episode that is as far from reality as possible. One that just seems so unrealistic that you can immerse yourself in that and forget about all the other stuff. Nice. Yeah. So thank you to all of those people that responded in some fashion. I'm sorry we couldn't get to all of your answers. But I'm sure you understand. Yeah, we, th- that would have been like an all-night thing if we had to read 300 comments. Yeah, our oh first five-hour podcast. Hey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so now to the final uh, section of the show. Eric and Doug, do you know what puts my quantum state into flux? I don't know, but I'm sure you're going to tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, before I start, this week I had issue trying to come up with one, a uh, uh, quantum state of flux. So this doesn't tick me off <laughs> as much as other my <laughs> other rants that I've gone through in, in prior episodes. But Eric and I are big fans of Star Trek Timelines. Uh, uh, Doug, have you ever played this game? Nope, but I might have downloaded it while we were recording. Oh, snap. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Doug get Shran. I swear to God, if he gets it on his first thing, I'm just, I'm, I'm done. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we have praised Star Trek timelines on the show in the past and have even said how addicting and easy it is to drop real-world money Which in I the have. game. And Eric is probably, he, he must have dropped, I know he's dropped way more than me in the game. Um, yeah. Probably more than uh, I've spent on actual video games, so... Whoa, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've easily reached the I've spent over $100 on this game mark. I'm oh, not wow. even kidding. I've even spent kidding. maybe uh, 15 It's those goddamn dilithium crystals, I'm telling you. 
But see, the thing is, I, and I've said this, uh, I don't know if I said it on air, but I use, um, instead of using my iPhone, I use it on an Android device. And with Android, there's an app called uh, Google Rewards uh, or mm. Surveys or something like that. And you get surveys, and for each survey you do, uh, not every survey, for but a majority of your surveys, you get money put into your Google uh, play account. So I haven't used any of my actual money on this game. I've just <laughs> used money that I've gained through this uh, from taking these surveys. Uh, I'm but I of that app. I wish I wish Apple had a version of that app. Oh uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. Me too. <laughs> Especially at this point. <laughs> yeah. well, I mean, I've had I've had that app for about a year, and I've only gotten maybe twenty dollars. Um, so far, but hmm. I haven't I haven't used it constantly until now. Now that I use use this every I use oh, it every yeah. day now. Uh, so every time there's a survey, I'm like, oh yeah, I gotta do this survey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, but I digress. Uh, so they just introduced Galaxy events. The events started. Uh, it requires users to uh, use the credits that they have in the game. Uh, in order to build equipment and to rank up uh, in the event. If you don't already have the pieces needed to build the uh, specific equipment in your inventory, you need to go on missions and use chronotons. That's fine, but what I found myself doing is, in order to get one new piece of equipment, I'm going through (laughs) like 100 chronotons at, at a time, and then I have to wait for for my chronoton level to either um, return up, um, which it or, it does, or like the chronoton uh, refresh that you can get every few hours. Yeah, there's there's a recharge. It gives you uh, twenty, and um, I've also just started doing the those challenges because uh, you get uh, if you complete them, you get fifteen chronotons. So I'm like, oh, I need I need chronotons. So where can I find them? <laughs> Uh, so I, uh, <laughs> I need the chronotons. So I uh, started doing those, um, just doing ones I've already completed, just to get chronotons because I know I can do them. Right. Um, uh, so this is fine, but I found myself going through my supply. Um, so I feel like this uh, this mission or or this event is only possible if you if you purchase. Uh, more chronotons. Eric is shaking his head no, but that's <laughs> how I feel. Um, and I don't, I don't want to use my dilithium to buy chronotons. Um, and you don't have to. And I understand. <laughs> I, I think you do. I don't know. No. I, I go through them. I go through them so much because you use dilithium, and you have to buy the dilithium in order to purchase uh, chronotons. And they even have in the uh, time portal a uh, chronoton pack, uh-huh. a special for for this mission going on called Chronoton Stockpile. Get cheap chronotons, so you can get a hundred chronotons for three hundred dilithium, or five hundred for one thousand two hundred and fifty dilithium. All right, you know what? I'm I'm I I'm sorry. I, I gotta I gotta stop your rant. Yeah. Because I've got a <laughs> counterpoint. Yeah. I have spent no money on this event, and uh-huh. I ranked up fast. 
like when this event started, and the event, the event even gives you chronotons when you reach certain reward levels. That's not enough, Eric. This well, is not, not enough only that, uh, not not only that, but they also give you like huge credits. Like oh yeah, I've gotten a lot of credits. I've maybe, gotten a lot of credits. So for me, it's like okay, yeah, maybe I have to spend some, like. You know, I just spend some game credits or chronotons to get a component I don't need. But I guess I play the game so much that I had this huge stockpile of of supplies. Mm-hmm. So early oh, on no. in this event, yeah. I like breeze through all those. Like I like I think I'm at some kind of ridiculous reward level at this point. My point is, you don't have to spend any money if you don't want to. Like, they're not forcing like it, you to spend well, money. Well, they don't force you to, but it's better to is uh, what I'm getting. I'm not going to spend money on on chronotons. Right. Um, so, I mean, I had, uh, I myself have a stockpile of, of components, but there are one or, two, one or two components for each of the things that I, that I need to build that right. I don't have. Right. So then it takes me like five or ten times at the trying to get the same component, and I'm just not getting them. So I just have to keep on spending my my chronotons, and it's becoming annoying to me. But you're, if you're you're also spending chronotons that go like the things that you get still go for your characters and stuff. Well, I understand that, but I'm. I'm spending more than usual. I don't know. I'm maybe I don't play the game. I don't play the game as much as you. Is what well, I am clearly understanding right no, now. No, no. The only thing is, is that you just check in like two or three times a day, and as long as you complete all of the daily stuff, you're getting a constant stream of like credits and um, oh, I have, merits and stuff. No, I, ha- I have plenty of credits and merits. It's uh, just the chronotons that I'm having an issue with at, in this well, event. Because yeah, it's, it's like the same for any of these online games where they limit how much you can play and you can buy whatever token to keep playing. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, so this you is... just have to wait for them to refresh. Yeah, I, I, ne- I would never spend anything on chronotons. I'm in it for the, char- the game characters. I mean, this is the first uh, game of this type. I've ever gotten into in in any any yeah. way, uh, so I don't. Um, I don't Trust know. me, I know this is this is literally one of the first apps that I've ever spent real money on, mm-hmm. and a lot of real money. So don't judge me. I'm, <laughs> I'm judging you. I know uh, you are. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, I'm stuck on this racket. I'm trying to get Julian's racket. <laughs> Anywho. Man, I'm trying to get this racket, man. So, uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, Doug, thank you for joining us uh, this week. Yeah, thank uh, you for having me. I'd love having you on um, and hearing your insights. And maybe we can have you on again and maybe talk about um, some other aspect of Star Trek uh, that you're I, learning about and want to know yeah, more about. I just, I, I just like when we get someone on that hasn't experienced a lot of Star Trek or is watching some episodes for the first time because I always love that fresh new viewer perspective. I love that. I really do. 
Hey, I'd be happy to be your noob uh, on the podcast. <laughs> now, Eric, if we were to look for you on the interweb, uh, how would we go about doing that? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff as uh, truckyb 47 uh, You can also listen to my other podcast that I'm on, the uh, Ranger Command Power Hour at Ranger Command PH or uh, just search for rangercommand.com. Okay. And Doug, how about you? I'm mostly just on Twitter at Doug Watchin, and occasionally I'll crash Ranger Command as well. Exactly. Oh, nice. And if you were to uh, look for me, I'm on Twitter at NovaCharter, uh, and also Star Trek Riza. So thank you all for, <laughs> uh, for listening again, and uh, we will talk to you next time. See ya. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. This has been another proud production of the Four-Eyed Radio Network. You want to see more shows? Go check out www.fouredradio.com, you winkers.